American males at least probably recognize that as the Fox NFL theme song for, for football. And, but really, it's about much more, it's not about football. When I hear that song, I think it really it speaks to something else. It speaks to an inner desire for glory. And it's funny, you watch these old like, NFL highlights or NFL videos they make of all these people running around, hitting each other, carrying a piece of leather. And they're playing this like, classical music that's so dramatic and intense. It's like epic. You're like, wait, it's just a game. But it's really not just a game. The reason people are into it is because they are looking for something more. And there's a sense of, yeah, we were made for more. And really this sense of glory that of overcoming the odds and rising up and being victorious. And, hey, maybe I can't be the guy in the field doing that, but at least if I root for the Chiefs and they've got hope, man, then we can have glory too. And that's what we're talking about today is the, the hope of glory. And, you, and when you talk about glory, as a Christian, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just pulling this out of my back pocket, we're, we're going through a series right now called Overall and In All, going through the book of Colossians the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in, in the city of, to the people of the Colossians. And this is a theme in here. And the book of Colossians is all about Jesus. But it's interesting, Jesus, and we talked about in week one, that was the first chapter of Colossians, was talking about Jesus as the head overall. Everything is from him. Everything is for him. He is in all. It's, it's all about him. And then last week, Rob talked about chapter two and how when we're connected to Jesus, that it brings life to us. And that chapter was really all, there are actually like, like 15 references to being in Christ, with Christ, Christ in us. It's, so it starts out, man, this is who Jesus is. He's, he's the ultimate. Everything is about him. And then he's made a, made a way for us to be with him. And so if you think about Colossians as the book about Jesus, the head, the head of everything, the head of his church, well, the church, the Bible says, is his body. And so Colossians is not only, it's about Jesus, but Jesus is the head of his body. He cares about his body too. And he wants his body to be in proper proportion to the head. You know, it's a little bit weird when you see a head that's too big for the body, right? And obviously, if, if we're the body, we're, we're not, we don't measure up to the full stature of who Jesus is, but that's actually what Jesus is doing is raising us up to be his body, to be in proper proportion to who he is. So that's, but glory, I, you know, I don't know about you, but I feel a little bit sort of, don't know how to feel about that idea, because I know that when I start thinking about the, the, the thing in me that wants glory, a lot of times it's not really a very godly thing. A lot of times it's really a pretty selfish thing. And so it's hard to differentiate between what's, a, what's, God's calling, and what, what's, what does he want to pull out, and what's just me? You guys relate to that? That makes sense? Um, in Colossians chapter 1, we're going to just flip back to the end of chapter 1, which we actually skipped over this two weeks ago. Verse 27. This kind of sets up this, this whole theme. We read, to them, and the them is God's people. Okay, so that's us, if we're the people of God. To us, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, the Gentiles were the, people, were the non-Jews, they were the people that seemed, that seemed far from God. But the message of the gospel was, hey, no matter how far you seem, 
God is calling you to be part of his people. So to us, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, those who seem to not have hope, how great among them are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul's saying, this whole the mystery of what God is doing in the world, it's, it's a mystery, but you can sum it up as being Christ in you, the hope of glory. Just think about that. Christ, he's the ultimate. He's, everything is from him. Everything is for him. He's the Lord of all. And the gospel is that the God of the universe has come not only to be near to us, but to be in us. And when Christ is in us, that brings, out, that brings about a hope of glory. Now, I don't know about you, but I, oftentimes our thinking has been so affected by, by empty religion that we, just, we don't get what it's saying when we read things like this. When a lot of times, many of us, when we hear the hope of glory, we just automatically go, well, that just means, sometimes we've translated glory to mean heaven. So, like, you know, someday I'm going to go to glory. And that means I'm going to go to heaven when I die. That's kind of a weird way. That's not what it's saying here. The hope of, if I mean, ask any person on the street, what does the hope of glory mean? They're going to have a better understanding of what that means than someone who's been in church too long sometimes because it's become too religious. It's like, no, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope that you could live a glorious life. Christ in you, the hope that you could, you could have fulfill this inner desire for glory. And like I said, for me, like, glory is a, kind of a weird idea. Like, what does that mean? It's, it's helpful. This, it's a theme all through the Bible. In the Old Testament, the word, uh, which was written mostly in Hebrew, the word uh, that's translated glory, the Hebrew word is kavod, and it literally means weight, something that's heavy. And so to have glory means there's a weightiness about, about that thing. I mean, obviously, God is the ultimate. Like, there's a weight about him. And when his glory rests on us, there's a, there's a weightiness about that. The, in the New Testament, it's mostly written in Greek, and the, the word that's used is doxa, like doxology. And that has more references to, to light, to splendor, to magnificence, to being exalted. And so there's this glory has all those connotations. There's a weightiness. There's a light and a splendor. Really, this is my, my sort of Jonathan Hupp definition, is glory means being everything that God intended for you to be. To Christ in you, the hope of glory, is God's glory coming on us and raising us up to be fully the person we were made to be. We like to say, you were made for more. That's kind of our, our motto around here. You were made for more. And that's, you could say, you were made for glory. You were made to come fully into being a, a person that God intended you to be. So, that's, that, that's amazing. This theme, we could go all through the New Testament. It talks about God's intention in, in, in choosing people. Romans 8 says, God works all things together for good to those who love him. Those he called, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, that's pretty glorious. Those he called, he chose to be conformed, to become like his son so that he could be the firstborn among many brothers. Saying that God wants to make us 
like Jesus. And then he goes on and says, those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. So God is the one who does this. It's not something we do ourselves, but it's his grace at work in us. And so let's flip on to, uh, move on ahead to Colossians chapter 3. That's where we're, we're going to focus today. We're going to read the first 15 verses of, of this chapter. But really, if we ask, you know, we've talked about this whole theme is Christ is over all and in all. Christ is reconciling the world to himself. Think about how is, how is Christ filling the world today? How is Christ reconciling the world to himself today? Is it through fairy dust? Is it like, he, you know, there's all the glory around his throne in heaven and there's the, like the fairy dust magic and he just sprinkles it down on the world and then, oh, wow, God's filling the world. No, it's not quite like that. God is filling the world through his people. God is reconciling the world to himself through people in whom he comes and lives and transforms and through his people growing up and becoming who he's made us to be. That's how he fills the world with his glory. And so, man, that's, that's amazing. So how does that happen? Well, let's, let's read here, chapter 3. Because it's a little different than the way we would naturally go about it. Chapter 3, verse 1. If then... You have been raised with Christ. So he assumes. You know, you've been born again. Those of you who have repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus, you've been, you've been raised to a new life. If that's happened to you, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Okay, so seek things that are above. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There's a lot in there. You could just read that, think about that all week, and that would take you far. I'm going to read that again. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. In other words, you've been made for higher things. You've been made for higher things than the stuff. I've been made for higher things than the worries and the fears and the, the stuff that tends to drag me down and the stuff that I tend to fixate on and be obsessed with and focus on. That's where my mind tends to go, but... God is telling us, no, set your mind on higher things, not on the things that are, that are below. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And that's interesting that it's hidden. Our life, this glorious life that God's called us to, it's hidden. It's not in the things where we naturally seek it. The things that we naturally, because we're all seeking glory, really, if we're honest, but the problem is that we tend to seek it in the wrong things. We may seek it in, in, the, in a successful career, or in popularity, in the affirmation of other people, or in getting everything to go just so, the way we want it. That's, that's where we want it. But say, no, it's not there. It's hidden with God in Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What does that mean? Well, it says that our our life and the glory, that hope of glory that God wants to fulfill, 
it's not something we bring about ourselves, but the more Christ appears, the more we see it. Now, ultimately, when Jesus returns, when he comes back at the end of history and is revealed, when he appears, then, in, actually in 1 John 3, chapter 3, verse 2, it says, um, Beloved, we are God's children now. We don't have it up here, but I'm just going to read this. What we, what we will be has not yet appeared. All right, we're God's children. What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's 1 John 3, 2. When Jesus appears, when we see Jesus fully, eyeball to eyeball, there's going to be a transformation that happens to completely bring us into that place of who God made us to be. And that is amazing. That's something we can't do. But I believe that this is not only speaking to the end of history, but it's also speaking to what happens now. That when he appears, we will be like him. The more we see him, the more we have a revelation of who Jesus is, then the more he transforms us to be like him. Because as we see him, it has a powerful effect in changing us. Um, so, God's, this is God saying, put our minds on him. And we have to remember, we talk about glory, we have to be very careful it doesn't become about us. Because ultimately it's about him. He's the one who's overall. He's the one who's, who's in all. But there is a, a path to glory that God calls us to as well. And so, I just want to talk about, break this down, like, how does, how does this work? So, three things. Our path to glory. I'm going to talk about three things about our path to glory. If you have your bulletin, if you're taking notes, you can jot these down here. Our path to glory. Number one, our path to glory glorifies God. And like I just said, it's not about us ultimately. It's about him. Our path to glory glorifies him. One of the things, if you think about this, if God wants his glory to be made known in the world, there are a lot of ways he shows his glory. He shows his glory in the creation of the universe. You know, the more you ponder about the universe, and as, as I've been thinking recently about the, what most astrophysicists believe, that the universe is not only expanding, but it's expanding faster and faster and faster. Like, Wow. That brings glory to God when I think there's a God like that. We look at the intricacy of how people are made. There, there's, we, so many things show God's glory. But one of the things that shows God's glory the most is when he transforms human lives and makes them become who, who he's made them to be. Um, I'm, I'm a dad, and I'm going to embarrass my son, Cade, who's here. But he's a senior in high school. Actually, I'm not going to embarrass him too much. But he's just, he's, he plays soccer. He's on the high school soccer team. And they're coming down to the last, it's playoffs this week. So it's do or die. They will play until they either win the state championship, hopefully, or lose a game somewhere between now and then. And so it's interesting, sitting in the, in the, in the stands with other parents and knowing these parents, and many of them we've known for like 12 years, since our kids, um, or maybe 10 years or so, since with us, that we've known these parents since our kids have been playing soccer in Manhattan together. And most of the kids that are on the high school team now, like, they were pretty decent when they were in elementary school. Some of them were really good. And so a lot of these parents had dreams of grandeur, like, oh, my goodness, man, my kid's going to be the next Pele. Man, he's, he's going to go to college. He's going to have a college scholarship. Like, you start dreaming all these dreams for how far your kids can go in, in soccer. And... If you think about that, when the parents are watching a game, they do not want 
their son to go out on the field in game time, and the whistle blows, the game starts. They don't want the kid to go up to the kids on the other team and go, hey, hey, guess what? See my parents over there in the stands? My parents are great. I just want to tell you about how great my parents are. No, we don't, that's not what we're there for. But there is something about when our kids do really well, when they come fully into their potential as a soccer player, it does, and as a person more, more fully, it does, that makes a parent happier. It's like, yeah, you know, that's my boy. That's, that's, that's my boy. Yeah, you see number, number 14 over there? Yeah, that's, that's mine. You know? <laughs> I taught him everything he knows. <laughs> Not really. Not for sure. Um, but you think about that. God, one of the things that brings him glory the most is his sons and daughters being on the field of life, playing at a high level. And when you think about just in God's wisdom that he takes us broken, finite people in a broken, messed up world, that his grace could work in us and raise us up and transform us. Like, that is amazing. That God can take our weak, fragile lives and do something powerful that, that shows who he is. That shows God's nature and his character like nothing else. And that's what God's, what God's after. You know, it's funny. I, I was a dad, like, like a couple weeks ago. Manhattan High had their closest game of the season. They were playing Emporia, who had a really good team. And it was tied 2-2. Two to two. And we, and time was start running out, getting closer and closer, and no score was happening, so it was going to overtime. With 20 seconds left, Emporia had a, had a goal kick, and they kicked it to midfield. And my son, Cade, got the ball in midair, and he's, he plays defensive midfield, so he doesn't get a lot of chances to score, and a lot of times he's not in the limelight. He, he get the ball in the air, and he one-touched it up the field to our best forward, and he got the ball, made a move, scored with 14 seconds left for the win. Now, that was awesome. That was, like, that was the best moment of the year. Now, it was interesting so far. It's funny, when the paper ran the story, they, they, they talked about how Nast scored the goal, and it said, and they told this whole story, and then it said, when the ball landed at his feet with 20 seconds left, and as a dad, I'm like, wait a minute. Like, you need to tell him how the ball landed at his feet. Like, it didn't just land at his feet. Like, there was a great play that got to that point, but that was ignored, and so I was kind of annoyed about that. And then, a few days later, though, the, the high school paper it ran a story on, came out, and it had a story about this game. And I said, okay, well, let's see what happens. How'd they tell the story? And so, in this story, they did give credit for an assist for the winning goal. But they didn't give it to my son, Kay. They gave it to some other kid who wasn't even in the game at the time. (laughs) I was like, wait a minute. What's going on here? This is wrong. I want my son to get credit for what he did. And you think, like, there's nothing more natural in all the world than that for a dad to, to feel that way towards their child. And in the same way, God gets glory. When, when we come into the glory that he's called us to. Isn't that great? Isn't that cool? Um, you know, obviously this isn't like living vicariously through your kids. That's not good. You know, there's all sorts of unhealthy stuff that comes into this, into this world, but hoping that they'll be everything that they can be, that's good, and that's, that's how God feels with us. Um, so we've been raised with Christ, but 
Paul says here in Colossians, set your minds on things above, not on the things that are on earth. And that, for me, begs the question, well, what are the things above? What are the things on earth? Um, well, he, he, he really spells it out for us. Um, going on in verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Look at that list of things. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. They all have one thing in common, and that is that they all are about focusing on yourself at the expense of what's good and at the expense of other people. It's, it's a self-focus. It's, what, it's, it's so, putting ourselves in the center of our life. And really, the last phrase there, which is idolatry. The, the key word in our culture of idolatry is I. The biggest idol in our culture is me. What do I want? What are my goals? What, what will make me happy? It's me, 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 me. And the idolatry is putting anything above God, anything at the center of our life that's higher than God. And how do we know what that is? Well, what do we think about the most? What do we base our decisions on? What drives us? Is it self-interest or something higher? And so he's saying, hey, those, that idolatry, that obsession with self, that focus on self, put that to death. Put that to death. And that's, that doesn't come naturally because there's this, this tension. Um, I, our family recently watched one of my favorite comedies ever, Nacho Libre, with Jack, Libre, with Jack uh, Black, not Jack Libre. Um, but I, I was talking to Rob beforehand. I was like, am I, I, I know I'm dating myself a little bit, but how many of you saw Nacho Libre? Is this still relevant? Okay, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, there's Jack, Brack, Jack Black and Nacho Libre. So Jack Black feels this, this what we're talking about today. We're going to show just a little, a little clip here of him wrestling through this. All right, that's it, right there. That's what we're going to watch. Don't you want a little taste of the glory? I mean, it's, this whole movie is really about this theme we're talking about today, is that Jack Black is a, a monk in Mexico in an orphanage, and his job is the cook. He's on a very, very small budget. He's feeding the other orphans and the other monks basically gruel, meal after meal after meal, and he's like, man, there's got to be more. I know I was, how I was made for more. There's, there's got to be more to this. But in this, this wrestling, this desire for glory, there's, there is something in there that is godly. And I think the movie does a great job of, of pulling that out. But there's also the stuff in him of his, his flesh, of his selfish ambition, of him wanting glory for himself. Don't you want a taste of the glory? I think that's, that's just great. And really, you know, that's really our inner, our inner person is talking to us a lot of times, too. Like, don't you want a taste of the glory? That's, that's not what we're talking about, but... The, the path to real glory is, is the second thing. Is ca- it's counterintuitive. It goes against a lot of our natural instincts. It said back there in verse 5, we're to put to death whatever is natural, whatever is earthly in us. 
It's not just like, hey, be careful of it, but no, put that stuff to death. You got to kill it and bury it, because it is completely opposite what God has for us. Verse, moving on in verse 6, it says, on account of these, these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. And here's, here are more details of what this, the natural stuff, the earthly stuff that we're supposed to put away is. Anger. Wrath. Malice. That's being mean-spirited. Slander. Speaking about other people negatively. And obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices, and it put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So there's more details. This is, man, foolish talk, obscene talk, anger, wrath, being mean-spirited, using your words to tear, tear down other people. That's the stuff that we do so naturally, that we want to do. To, and that's kind of how the world works, is the idea that, hey, if you want to get ahead, you've got to do it at the expense of others. It's a competition. It's always us against them. It's how do I stack up against others, and how do I compete, and who can I step on in order to, to get ahead. And you see this all the way with little kids. and In elementary school, it's like you feel bad about yourself, and so you talk bad about other people so that you can elevate yourself. That's the earthly stuff. They say, no, put that to death. There's a higher way that God calls us to. Verse 11 says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. It's, it's a list of different people here. Greek, these are people that tended to be enemies of each other. Greek and Jew. Those were cultural groups that had some tension. And then all these others. It was like circumcised and uncircumcised. Like the, the religious and the irreligious. There's tension between them. And then barbarian, Scythian, those were like the people you look down upon. They're like, oh, no, those are those people. No, we're better than them. Um, slave, free, this, these socioeconomic categories. Paul's saying, hey, no, in Christ, we don't have to live in that world of all these, who's your, who's your group and how do you stack up with all the other groups and how do you make yourself feel better by being better than them. But no, Christ is all and in all. Our identity is in him and he's the one who makes us who we are. And then it goes on and it says, okay, so if, we're, if it's counterintuitive, if, we're not, if we don't find glory by the stuff we naturally look to, then what is this hope of glory? What is, how do we find the real kind of glory that God has for us? Um, well, I'll go back to my friend Jack Black, or Ignatius, I think is his name, and Nato Libre. And at the end of the story, uh, he realizes that, you know, I, I do, like I was made to be a I want to be a wrestler, and I didn't even know this. I just learned this yesterday, that that movie actually was based, it was inspired by a true story, that there was a monk in Mexico who worked at an orphanage, and who was a professional wrestler for 20-some years, and who used all the winnings to help the orphanage that he worked for. It's like, wow, that's pretty cool. This actually inspired this thing. But that's really what Jack Black, came, Ignatius, came to in the story. He's like, you know... Yeah, I, I want to fight, but it's not really about me and my red cape and all me getting all the glory, but I want to do this to be everything I'm made to be and to help the orphans that I'm serving. And so there's a little scene here that shows, shows him at the end. I just thought we'd play that. It's a, it's a fun clip. Mm-hmm. 
I just, I just want to see that again. It's so fun. But no, what does Jack like to do? He goes from it being about him to being about others. And that's really the, the glory that God calls us to, is the path to glory lifts other people up. It lifts up others. It's getting our eyes off of ourselves and saying, who are the people around me that God cares about and he's called me to, to give my life to and to make a difference with? And that's... That's um, in Colossians 3 and verse 12. This is, that's the answer that God gives us. In verse 12, he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is the attitude we're supposed to put on. This is, these are the things above that we're to seek. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. It's funny, when you think of glory, I don't think of patience. But there's little more glorious than being patient with other people. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Now this description is all about considering other people. It's all about honoring other people. It's all about loving them. About lifting them, about having compassion kindness, patience, forgiveness. Why do we need those things? Because other people are like us. They, they do dumb things. They're selfish and they need help. But this is the call to glory to, to put these things on. And that's what makes for truly glorious life. In verse 14 it says, and above all these, above all these, okay, this is the ultimate, put on love. Above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called to one body, and be thankful. And the people who live the most glorious lives are the ones who live like this. The people who bring Christ the most honor are the ones who, when you see them, you know, like, man, they care about people. They're living their life for other people. And their decisions, their time, their way they're investing themselves, investing their lives... It's not just about them, but they're really seeking to lift up others. Back to the Manhattan High soccer team. Um, the, so this is a couple weeks ago. The, the coach of the team, Frank Alonzo, has been there for 20 years. He's 52, actually just turned 52 yesterday. And he, out of, he's a healthy guy, was very fit, was a very elite athlete himself when he was younger. He, he was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. And it's the place where there's, there's really nothing medically that doctors know how to do. And so here's this coach who's he's very intense. He's been, he's been very successful. He's had a successful program for, year, for 20 years here in Manhattan. Um, there have been hundreds of of players that he's coached, um, not only at the high school level, but kids, many of them, he's, some of them he's coached all the way from when they were kids to high school, but there are 
hundreds of kids and their families who know Frank, who he's impacted their lives. And it's amazing now. And so, man, we're, I encourage you to pray for him. And we actually had a prayer meeting with some of the parents that like 70 parents and players showed up to to pray for him. And it'd be so awesome if God did a miracle and healed him. So, man, pray for Frank Alonzo. Trusting God, asking God that he would heal him. Um, bring glory to God. But the, the thing that as people are looking, you know, you look at his life now, and he's been very successful, but the thing that matters is the personal impact he's had on people's lives. The, the personal connection and the care and that there have been, there's been young man after young man who he's been intense with and coached and cared about and now there are alumni all over the place that are showing up for games and writing him letters and doing all sorts of stuff because of the personal impact that he made in their life. And how it, you know, that is much more important than how many wins they ever experienced. It's much more important than any accolades they, they received. But the personal love, really, the, the personal impartation they received from somebody's life is the thing that makes a difference. And that's really the same thing that's true for all of us, is that, you know, when we come to the end of our life, it's our accomplishments, they're, you know, those are, those are things to celebrate. Those are part of what God has called us to. But ultimately, it's how do we help lift other people up? That's, that's the glorious life that God has called us to, and that's, that's really what makes a difference. And so, you know, what do we, what do, we do with this? Well, I want to leave us with a couple, just kind of break it down with a couple of next steps. Um, which is first just to identify in, in your own life, what are the earthly, earthly attitudes and behaviors that God's putting his finger on in your life? Maybe it's an obsession about success or fear of failure. Maybe it's... A, a habit of slandering other people. Maybe it's an unwillingness to forgive other people or impatience. What's the, the thing in you that God's put his finger on and say, you know, that's, those are earthly things. I want you to put those to death. Don't live like that anymore. Put that to death. And put on something different. And that is putting on love. And really, that's the next step I want to ask you. is like, how is God calling you to love? Maybe there's a certain person, a family member or friend or coworker, classmate. God's like, man, I want you to love that person. Maybe they're, they're not very lovable. Maybe they're just in a place of need. Maybe they, maybe they have everything going for them, but they really need someone to be there for them. How does God want you to put on love and grow in loving the people around you? And I want to pray for us and ask that God would help us and um, and then later on, as, as we close, the, we're going to wrap up in just a little bit. We're going to do something a little different today after, after we dismiss, or as we dismiss. We're going to have a chance for some prayer time today, where if you want to come forward and get prayer for anything in your life, um, I believe there, whether it's physical healing, I know there's a lot of sickness going around, and, or, or injuries, if you want to come up and ask for prayer for healing, see it, man, just trust God to touch you. We would love to pray for you, have people pray for you today for that, or any other relational thing, or any other just thing you would like prayer for. We would love to just take some time and pray for you. And another, and another um, 
twist to that today is if you're like, you know, I want to pray not for me but for somebody else. Like there's somebody in my life, maybe it's a spouse or a family member or a friend or whoever it is, and, and they got this, this challenge. And I just want to pray for them. I want to stand here. They're not here today, or maybe they could be here today, but they're, they're anywhere. But I want to come forward and just love them by getting prayer for them. And take that first, take a, take a step towards really putting myself in their shoes and helping to lift them up. So I'm, I'm going to pray for us here, and then but we'll have a chance to do that in a little bit too. So let's, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the life you call us to. Lord, Jesus, we say today, you are worthy. This is all about you. You're the one who's over all. You're the one who's in all. You're the one who's filling all things. Lord, thank you for, for letting us know you. Inviting us to know you more. Lord, help us to, to walk this out. Help us to put to death the things that are earthly. And to put on love. To put on your heart. To, to put on your attitude towards the people around us. And to love them the way you do. Lord, I thank you for the, the world changes in this room. The people living glorious lives. Lord, I pray a blessing. Pray for your encouragement. Pray for your affirmation your blessing upon them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.